Hi, I'm Kate Spina. This is Toward Light, Practical Buddhism for the Modern World. Each week, I explore ways to apply these timeless teachings to our daily life. Hello, and welcome to Episode 5 of Season 3 of the Toward Light Podcast. So far this season, there's sort of been this loose theme around relational practice, around the importance of how we practice with others in the world, why community is so important. And there's also, I've been sort of working us through the Four Noble Truths. So I'm going to continue that today and look at the Third Noble Truth. By looking at these truths in our interpersonal lives, they often become more immediate, more applicable. So I hope you'll see that here. I understand that this is probably the fourth or fifth episode I've done on the Third Noble Truth. And so I just want to remind us all that repetition helps us to learn and that also this is a living path. So an episode I did on the Third Noble Truth six months ago, I have a different understanding of the Third Noble Truth now, or there's a different leading edge that I feel is important. I just want you to hear that as I talk about these things. And maybe if it's interesting to you, go back and listen to other episodes I've done about this truth and see how they relate, see what's changed in my perspective or your perspective. Last episode, I talked about the cycle of dependent origination, this relationship between dukkha, difficulty, the first noble truth, and tanha, thirst, the second noble truth. At the end of the episode, I gave us the reminder that this cycle can end, this relationship between dukkha and tanha that just feeds itself can end. We can be free of this cycle. That's the third noble truth, this truth of nibbana, of extinguishing, of freedom, of liberation. This episode, I'm going to talk about what freedom can mean, what it can look like in our lives, and the role of personal liberation amidst global suffering. The reason I'm going to look at this from a relational perspective is that folks often see Nibbana as a selfish or individualistic act or goal, and I want to illustrate that personal liberation does positively affect all the environments we're a part of, all the beings we're connected to. Often we think of this third noble truth, this truth of Nibbana, this truth of cessation, this truth of freedom as something that's out there or unattainable or only for monastics or only after decades of practice. And I want to challenge that. I want us to see moments of freedom when they arise. Today, I'm going to frame freedom as being free from greed, aversion, and delusion and being free to be generous, kind, and present. I'm actually going to flip the list of the three poisons and start with freedom from delusion. As we saw last episode, the first step in the cycle of dependent origination is ignorance, avijja, which is a form of delusion. We need to deeply know and understand what delusion is in our lives so then we can know when we're free from it. Delusion can show up in a lot of different ways, so while I'm giving these examples, reflect on how delusion may show up in your life. I'm going to give these examples looking at delusion being present, and then we'll look at them again with the lens of being free from delusion. First example, you treat your current partner like your previous partner. So your previous partner had a pet peeve about how you loaded the dishwasher. And so you keep loading it that way. And if you quote unquote get it wrong, you're afraid that your partner, your current partner is going to be upset. 
That's delusion, right? We're not seeing clearly that this person is different from the previous person. We're repeating a cycle. Next example, a friend is sharing a problem and they don't ask for advice and we give it anyway. Giving unsolicited advice is delusion. We do not understand that person's experience. We may not have had the exact same thing happen. And even if we have, our causes and conditions are different from their causes and conditions. So unless they explicitly ask for help, we're there to listen. We're deluded if we think that we have the answers for them. We might be able to shine a light for them or support them, but to give unsolicited advice is coming from a place of delusion. Or when you're in a fight, with somebody, a friend, a partner, a sibling, whoever, and there's a binary. One way is all good and one way is all bad. Their thinking is all bad, my thinking is all good. Their thinking is wrong, my thinking is right. Anytime we're in a binary, that's delusion, right? Because life is not a binary. There are so many aspects of every situation. There's not a necessary right and wrong. So if we're stuck in that binary, we're stuck in delusion. So we see how delusion is present in all those examples, the delusion that all people are the same, not seeing the truth of anatta, that we're changing beings, the delusion that we can know another person's exact experience, the delusion that there's a fixed right and wrong in every situation. In all of these situations, there's ignorance of the vast possibilities in interpersonal relationships. Now, if we want to see what it feels like to be free from delusion, we're looking for the opposite. We're looking for moments of present. So when we're loading the dishwasher, we're loading it right now with this partner, with this partner's preferences, with our preferences. Ex-partner's preferences are are not in it because we're present. We're here right now. When a friend is sharing a problem, we're listening. We're present we're taking in the entirety of their experience. We're not thinking about what, how we're going to respond. We're listening from our hearts. We're being moved mentally and emotionally. We're being there with them in their moment. We're not linking it to moments in our lives. We're with them. We're present. Or when we're fighting, and this is maybe one of the trickier times, we can really get stuck in that binary thinking. So, It's great when we can see this. When we're fighting, if we can say, hey, this is my perspective. I know you see it differently. How can we come to an agreement? That's presence, right? That's owning that there's two different ideas, but it's also owning the possibility that neither one is wrong or right, and that there's a possibility in the middle somewhere. Maybe the possibility is that one person's idea ends up being the idea that you go with, or maybe there's a compromise, but there's enough presence, there's enough freedom from delusion that we can see the possibilities. Are you able to get a feel for what momentary freedom from delusion looks like? Can you think of moments in your day, week, month, where your interpersonal reactions are rooted in presence when there's been no delusion present? That's Nibbana, that's the presence of the third noble truth. Now let's look at greed. How does greed show up in our interpersonal interactions? I'm going to do the same thing, give examples with greed present and then with greed absent. 
First example, you call a friend, they pick up, you just start talking. Oh my God, I had this big thing happen today and blah, 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 blah. You don't really even let them say hello or take a breath. You just sort of roll over them. The greed is that you want their ear. You're grasping for their attention. You're grasping to share your story. Another example is you're meeting a friend and you unilaterally decide what you all are going to do. Say, oh, well, we're going to go to this store today and then we're going to eat lunch here because that's what you want to do. So you're acting from a place of greed. You're choosing the activities that you want, not taking the other person into account. For example three, this one's a little close to home. You're at dinner and you're sharing a dessert with your partner and you take the last bite without asking if they want it. Again, greed, wanting that sugar, wanting that pleasure, wanting that dessert. The opposite of greed is generosity. Generosity can be obvious things, giving money, giving objects, giving time. But generosity is also not grasping, relating to things openly, without an agenda. So that first example, you have something big on your mind, you call your friend, you say, hey, do you have some time to listen? I need to share something that happened. And they might say no. You're not coming from a place of greed because you're recognizing that yours is not the only time in that picture, right? Example two, you're meeting up with a friend. Rather than unilaterally deciding for the both of you, at least asking, hey, I really want to go to this store and this restaurant. Would you be up for that? Or do you have anywhere else you want to go? It's not saying that we can't want things. But it's how do we hold it and how, do we, how does that drive us? Or the third example, simply saying, hey, would you like this last bite? Or may I have this last bite? I don't know if you noticed, but these, this switch from greed to generosity, it's pretty simple. It's one sentence, right? And so can you think about times in your life recently where you have acted from a place of generosity, where you've been with somebody and rather than running the show or directing the attention that you have been open and generous with how you guys have connected. Can you see that? And now to the third poison, which is aversion. I like to use the word aversion rather than hatred because I feel it holds the spectrum more. You know, hatred is this like big, end of the range, but it can also be just a subtle turning away from experience. Example one, I'm on the phone with customer service for the airline and they are not being helpful and I get short with them and snippy because I don't want this experience. I'm aversive to this experience and I act from that aversion. Or this happened to me the other day. I was waiting for something and there was somebody who's affiliated with a production that I have frustration with. And so they were looking at me and because I was frustrated with the production in general, not the specific person, but aversive to having these people around my building, I didn't even really look at this person. And they were looking at me and trying to make connection and I was just sort of ignoring them. Or example three is somebody texts us who we no longer want to be in relationship with and rather than directly face that, we just ghost them or stop responding. 
the opposite of aversion is kindness, is metta. And kindness doesn't need to mean sugar sweet after school special kindness. But when we're acting from aversion, there's a root of repulsion, of pushing against, of moving away from. And when we're acting from kindness, there's a movement toward the other, toward the moment, toward the heart. So when I'm on the phone with customer service, and I remember that I'm talking to a person who has causes and conditions in their life and that they're doing their job, I can come to it from some kindness. And I may not be happy to be on that call, but I don't have to be rude to them. I can feel them as a person and I can respond in kind. I can imagine what if it was me in that job and how would I want someone to talk to me? So then there's no aversion present because I'm actually coming from this place of metta of kindness. Or this example of taking someone from a group and just sort of ignoring them or not wanting to connect instead of seeing them as an individual and noticing that they're looking at me and and looking back and saying hi and connecting, which we eventually did. And and turned out she wanted to talk about my tattoos. Nothing to do with this production that I was frustrated with. So when I switched from aversion to kindness, when I was open to the connection, even though the circumstances around were not ideal, I ended up having a really beautiful, sweet moment. And then this third one of of ignoring somebody or ghosting them, sometimes that is the kindest response. Sometimes no response is the kindest response. And sometimes it's not. So noticing, are you being aversive to the conflict? Is there something that you need to express or something that you want to say that seems painful and so you're avoiding it? Again, sometimes it is the right choice not to respond, but sometimes it can be kinder to say, hey, you know, this is what's going on and this is why I need space. Where can you see growth in yourself around this? Where can you see moments where maybe you used to have a tendency to aversion, but now naturally meet things with more kindness, where you have a freedom from aversion? Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, some folks struggle with an emphasis on personal awakening because they feel the suffering of the world and they feel like they should be focusing externally rather than internally. This can be reinforced by teachings like the Bodhisattva vow, which begins something like, beings are numberless, I vow to save them. What I hope you can see from the examples I gave is that when we focus on our personal freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion, we are able to serve others better. We are able to be in relationship better. We are able to affect our world positively. If we're emphasizing presence rather than delusion, we can see things clearly and respond appropriately based on what we are experiencing. If we're emphasizing generosity over greed, we can offer from a place of wisdom and we can be of service from our highest self. If we're emphasizing kindness over aversion, we are more easeful in all of our interactions. Personal liberation is the doorway to communal liberation. Years ago, I heard my teacher, Matthew Brensilver, say that he wants his presence to be a blessing to all he encounters. May we all aspire to this beautiful goal. Thank you for listening. Please check out any links in the show notes. You can find me on my website, towardlight.net, or on Instagram at towardlight108.